Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk with stand-up comedian Jessica Singleton. She's always been funny, even as a kid. That's something her mom recently reinforced. That she's always had comedic timing, and that she could always find the humor in everything, regardless of how traumatic it got. When her family moved from Mississippi to Alaska, she was in sixth grade. She was forced to leave her friends behind for a place she knew nothing about. She always hated the cold, and her parents continued to struggle with addiction. She says that she lived in a state of fear most of her life. She was abused, neglected, and abandoned. There was a lot going on that was hard to process. So she used humor to shield and heal herself. Her self-deprecating, stream-of-consciousness humor comes from those experiences. So does her empathy. It's what continues to draw her to comedy. Her set is successful if she can, even for a moment, take someone away from their troubles. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Okay, back to Jessica Singleton. It's taken her a while to get where she is now. Being a regular at the comedy store, performing on sold-out tours, working on her next comedy album, and she just released a country song. It took a lot of self-reflection and recognition of self-worth. She says it's about shifting your perspective and setting goals, that it's about being present, and comedy is where she feels most present, on a stage in front of a bunch of strangers, making them feel like they're not so alone. This is her calling, and she believes that when you find the thing that you're meant to be, it'll happen. That when you direct your energy and perseverance in a certain direction, the doors will continue to open. So here she is, Jessica Singleton. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! We kind of had a little bit of a mix-up this morning, which was totally on, <laughs> it, totally on me. And you said that you're kind of fitting this in between going to the comedy store. Yeah, yeah, I've got shows at the comedy store tonight, and I had uh, another podcast before this, and some other shit. So I'm, 
I'm squeezing it in. It was really funny when you mixed up the time zones because I was like, are you trying to explain time zones to an erotic person who travels a lot? <laughs> Excuse me. No, but um, yeah, I uh, I have spots. I have spots tonight at the store. So it's uh, it's fun. It's still going. Thank God. It came back and hasn't gone away. So we'll see. <laughs> you know, what's kind of funny is that's one of my worst fears, especially during a conversation is to be misunderstood or misinterpreted so when you just said that you know me, <laughs> me explaining time zones to you uh, I, I got this little, little tinge of like no fright no i'm just being i'm just being a fucking cunt but oh, can i curse on this that's what i should ask before we started yeah it's crude I'm conversations like, yeah that's what i figured but i was like oh wait are we and then i'm like no this is we're alaskan people we're gonna say things yeah it's an ironic name you can't yeah. cuss on this podcast <laughs> that, that's the whole thing they're like no actually uh we brought you on to tell you about your lord and savior uh, <laughs> just converting me uh yeah no i'm just giving you shit but yeah we had a mix up i just overload my calendar so when i first saw your message i was like and i but i'm also a people pleaser so i never want to let someone down and i was like oh no i won't be able to do that time because <laughs> like, oh, like everything's an emergency as if every little thing that i say yes to is me playing madison square garden and i'm just like oh oh no like, the opportunity's gone but like I don't know. I, I wanted to do this. It sounds so fun. And I, I mean, I've been wanting to do it for a while. And I just fucking haven't been able to. So when I was like, no, I finally made it work. Oh, God. So are you a uh, a person that sets like numerous alarm clocks on your phone? Uh, uh, that is an understatement. <laughs> it's like for people who are the opposite of me, looking at my phone or at my computer is just anxiety inducing off the bat for them. I have so many... I mean, like, it's gotten to the point where I have to ske I schedule in, like, don't forget to eat, which is embarrassing. But, yeah, no, it's constant alarm clocks, constant, like, wrap it up reminders for myself. Because especially with podcasts, I could, when it's, you, I mean, you know how it is. When you get talking with someone and it's easy, yeah. you'll go on for hours. And I'll, I try not to, I've gotten better. I try not to overbook. But I don't like to, like, do anything too close to something else where, it, you know, if you're in the middle of something, you have to go, well, gotta go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's my, I have a physical daily planner, like a 90 year old, cause it just helps my brain better to like write it out. But it looks like a nightmare. It drives <laughs> OCD and organized people look at me like I've exploded at all times. <laughs> cause I'm actually a mess, but I'm just like holding on by a thread and over scheduling. <laughs> <laughs> and then the alarms remind you of your obligations. Yeah, it's like, oh, you got to go do that thing. Because, yeah, literally, it's like I will schedule something and it goes out the window. So I have to have all the alerts. Cause I'll, and, like, the amount of times I go, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, the thing. I have to go. And just, like, get up and run away is uh, unsettling, honestly. I It's something I aspire to be better at, but, you know, still working on it. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of is that that part in Seinfeld where uh, George Costanza <laughs> is talking about how he always looks busy and how he does it is just by looking annoyed. <laughs> I think, I think I am George Costanza, honestly, but, like the amount to which I feel busy versus what I'm actually doing probably does not equate. Like, the, <laughs> and like everything I do is not an emergency, but you would think that I was a CEO with the way I'm like, I have to go. I have just too many things to do. Well, maybe that's why you get so much stuff done. 
I, that's the thing is like it's paid off like it's at least like thank god that i've had at least a little bit of success that i'm not operating at this level and gotten literally nothing like that would be i would not be here anymore i would have blown myself off the planet but <laughs> it is like and i think that's kind of a double-edged sword because i get scared of like with comedy for instance i at this point i'm secure enough to go okay i know i'm funny i know i'm like a talented performer and writer but a lot of what I have is because I work extremely hard. Mm-hmm. And so then there's the fear of, oh, if I slow down a little, does it all go away? Oh, that's a scary thought. Yeah. Where it's like, no. And that's a thing I'm actually actively working on is like putting in not work things into my calendar. So I'll actually do them like just moving my body, give you fucking working out and taking a t- like a moment to breathe yeah. because I'm such a workaholic. I've now started literally scheduling it's so fuck it's such a like therapy 101 embarrassing thing to be like time to relax yeah <laughs> well the my relaxing alarm just went off and it's like what <laughs> 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 what the fuck does that even that doesn't even make sense those are opposites but like yeah no it is uh, because it's you know hard work does pay off but there is some sort of fear element in the i don't know just some sort of compulsive child of an alcoholic bullshit i'm sure of like oh it'll all fall apart if i stop for one second <laughs> you said that you you're a child of an alcoholic was that just an expression or is that for real i mean it is it's both you know okay. child of an alcoholic probably is yeah, at least a mainstream expression in fucking la where everyone's i'm just trying to work on myself <laughs> uh which i now am that person but <laughs> but uh yeah no my mom uh my mom was an alcoholic dad's an addict and so i'm a comedian <laughs> are they recovering uh my mom is in recovery uh and my dad is dead so he's re- he's not he's not doing drugs anymore unless that's what heaven is and god bless him if fucking he went to the big meth ring in the sky you know <laughs> but uh, sorry to make it dark. So no, sorry. no, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> did did he pass because of drugs? No, well, no, not he didn't have a drug like necessarily related. He just died in November, but it was, uh, you know, uh, he had COPD, so he went out on a ventilator. So years of uh, mostly probably just cigarettes, to be honest, like really is what took their toll. But he was a big, uh, very big guy, so also unhealthy diet, very much. Classic American, I think, medicate with food a little, and mm-hmm. I'm sure the drugs didn't help. He's the youngest of his siblings and the first to go, so that he's also the only man, so that could be something. But that says something to me about. I mean, that's not like rocket science to go like, yeah, if you do a lot of drugs, it might. And it's like it's it's okay to not want the longest life, but like it's worth being aware that you might take a couple of years off. It might all uh, end early, but it wasn't wasn't a direct correlation. Okay. And how long have you been in LA? Whoo, uh, 10 years now. I've been here a decade. Fuck. (laughs) I guess this is like my hometown now, but I'll never claim that. (laughs) Do you feel like, like you're more comfortable there now than you are Alaska? You know, yeah, but but it's it's like one of those things where in my head yeah but then the minute i get home it's like as soon as i get around and i don't know if you have this as soon as i get around my old friends it's like 
it's just like when you have really good friends, you can just pick up where you left off and it's mostly fine. But mm-hmm. everyone in Alaska that I'm friends with, their life is went such a different direction than mine. Like, you know, people have kids or like, I mean, not all of them. Some of them are just fucking, I'm like, we didn't, we didn't pivot at all from what you were doing at 20. <laughs> we're just still stealing pallets for bonfires. What's happening? But, <laughs> but it does feel less like home because, I, I've gotten used to the LA lifestyle where it's a lot of people with no kids or people with, uh, you know, not typical nine to five jobs. So it's not weird to, you know, oh, let's let's talk about this over lunch on a Wednesday. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm going home next week, not next week, the week after. And I had originally planned for like more than two weeks of being home. And then I was like, I'm not, who am I going to hang out with? Everyone has a job. Like, what do I think? I guess I'll just go into nature, <laughs> which I am going to do. But I was like, what? It, like, it's so funny in my head. I think of Alaska and I think of how it was in high school. And then I go, you know, and then you're like, oh, no, like you guys are like solidly into your families. And it's great. It's just so different. So, yeah, there's definitely still a feeling of home there. But ugh, I guess I'm getting more at home in L.A. I don't love it. <laughs> It sounds like you've moved on as well. Like, yeah, you there's those there's those paths that diverge at a certain point, and the further you get from say high school and that type of uh, lifestyle, you know, where it's pretty free. Uh, maybe you have uh, a part time job or even a full time job to a certain extent in high school, but for the most part, like you're kind of wild and fancy free with your friends and then the further you get from yeah like we didn't know how good you had it yeah yeah exactly yeah well and it's like i think it's easier to really go down a different direction different path the like physically further away you get from the place you grow up which isn't for everybody but it kind of just is what i needed to do and so Yeah, in a weird way, I've worked myself into a corner that, though I stay really busy, has a certain level of freedom that I don't think I would have had if if I had chosen the, you know, stay in Alaska, get get a nine to five, start a family as my like immediate path. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I work a ton, but it's also I'm my own boss and it's it's taken me all over the country, all over the globe. And so it's like, yeah. As much as I can go like, oh, I'm a fucking workaholic. It's like, oh, God, I'm working so hard from my room at the Four Seasons in Johannesburg, (laughs) South Africa. (laughs) Oh, it's just so, what a burden, you know. And it is exhausting, but I try to do a good job of, you know, gratitude and just, you know. It took me a long time, too. I'm, like, rambling. Sorry, cut me off if you're like, wait, question. No, no, I I actually appreciate rambling. (laughs) What took me a long time because I had such like what some people would consider, quote, big dreams, but they're just what I wanted to do. And there was a while, like early 20s, where I thought, oh, my poor friends didn't go after their dreams. They're just married with kids. It took me a long time to go. Oh, actually, that was some people's dream. Yeah, they, they wanted sure. a f- Oh, no, I'm that's why they call my dreams crazy, because they're like, what kind of a fucking lunatic <laughs> wants people to laugh at them? <laughs> While they're alone on a stage, what level of mental illness are you like? No, laugh, please laugh at me. I need it. <laughs> Were you like that in high school? I was, uh, I like kind of came out of my class clown shell. I was, 
I mean, in middle school, early high school, I was a weirdo. I was like quietly funny, but just sort of, I think either, sh I don't know if I was shy or just like people were bullies. <laughs> so I was afraid of them. Okay. And like it, I really like blossomed mostly because people would make fun of me because I was kind of weird. And then I just, at some point started saying the thoughts I had about them out loud and they were just really snappy comebacks. Yeah. And then it really became a thing where I think people were like, well, I want to be friends with her because she's funnier than me and I'm afraid of her. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, when I leaned into like being silly instead of just, I don't know, for a while, I think I had this, I moved to Alaska in sixth grade. And so I, I lived in sort of that like new kid bubble for a little while. And I was a f like, my whole life had exploded and like we moved to Alaska because my dad left because meth is better than a family, probably, I assume. Uh, and then my mom drove us from southern Mississippi to Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it was like culture shock. I hated the cold. I found out like a week into living there that I have a rare condition where I break out into hives if I get too cold, but we were poor. So I had this, like everyone had cool snowboard jackets and I was in like a purple snowsuit <laughs> like and just some like a hand-me-down hat, like a fucking, I was just like, Oh man, this sucks. Well, it's a lot different than Mississippi. Oh yeah. No, in Mississippi there was, I, so I lived in Mississippi from like age three until we moved in sixth grade and it snowed once. And I'm talking about like, it was not even really sticking and they closed down the town. We went home and people had these now looking back like pathetic, like little tiny snowmen in their yard. We were like, it's a, it's snowing. It's a miracle. And then to <laughs> Alaska. And I was like, I, I was like, my mother is the devil. Why would you do this to me? I hate it here. I like came in with a firm. I hate it here. And I think, I don't know. There was so much, you know, you don't realize as a kid either that you're processing trauma. You're just living, but for sure. Yeah. But I was fucked up. I think a couple of years where I just sort of like stayed in my shell and whatever. And then when I started to come out of it by like, I would say junior, senior year, I was very much a jackass. I'm sure that there were multiple teachers that were like, will you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> and what were you doing <laughs> when you were in your shell? You know, it was just a lot of like, I had a small group of friends, but it was like all the, you know, sort of like outcasty. And I'm still like friends with all of these people too, but just sort of uh, people would just like lump me in as gothic because I spoke to some of the gothic kids, but I'd be like, well, I don't fucking have a safety pin in my head. I don't know why you're calling me gothic. <laughs> I'm just a human talking to people. But like, it was just a lot of, I'll tell you, actually, I was trying to come up with something cooler, but... <laughs> I just spent probably, I, I think I spent a lot of time in my imagination a lot later than most kids. Okay. I think a lot of people in middle school or like late elementary school, early high school really leaned into social and trying to be cool and spending time with friends and like bonding over, you know, what are my friends like? What, you know, what are we all doing? And I stayed in just like reading books and like, Literally, I was such a fucking weird kid, dude. I would like run around my yard imagining things like as a fucking in middle school, just being like <laughs> imagining Harry Potter shit. I was a fucking dork, man. <laughs> just alone, alone. And then like I had a little stepbrother and like in his eyes, I was just such a good sister for like, you know, playing pretend with him. And I'm just like, no, nah, man, this is fun for me. Let's get into the woods. Let's get weird. And 
even though it's kind of like, oh, there's, I'm sure a part of me, it's like, uh, there definitely was a part of me, it's like, I wish I was cooler, I wish I had friends, I miss my friends in Mississippi. I'm sure some of that inadvertently kind of fed into my comedian stuff, because you have to, like, look at things differently or, like, pick things apart and get silly with them for comedy. So it kind of maybe, like, started the wheels turning early without me realizing it. Yeah, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And literally, yeah, I was, like, laughing to survive. <laughs> And when do you think you started on that divergent path we were talking about earlier as a comedian? I mean, I think probably by my senior year of high school, I was, I mean, literally voted class clown. I was in too many clubs on too many sports teams. And I'm not even like very good at most sports. I just was like, I'm going to try out for this. Like, I wish I had the bravery I had as a 17 year old high school. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm just going to see what happens if I try out for the softball team. And the amount of teams that were like, yeah, I like your attitude. You'll probably never get in, but you can be on the team. And I fucking <laughs> now think about like, I probably stole a spot from someone whose like whole dream was being on a team. And I'm like, mm -hmm. they like my personality, but like, I just sort of leaned into it. I liked connecting with people and I found that there was something you know, I'm at that point in my life, I think there was probably a little bit of the, well, if I make fun of myself, if I make the joke before someone else, they can't make it. And also the, oh, I'm funny. So people think I'm cool because I'm funny. Cause there is that, it's crazy how embarrassing everything is at that age where you're like, please just like, don't let me get embarrassed. Anything yeah. to stay ahead of like I just want people to think I'm cool enough that they don't think I'm a loser because that would kill me but I but I took that with me into college and even in college I was like well I'm gonna be a comedian I'm just doing this we're fucking stupid if I had known what I know now I'd been like don't go to college you fucking moron <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of took it with me and what I realized was like beyond the like concept of what started as oh people will think I'm cool if I make them laugh I'm one of the one of the group because I'm the funny one. It, I realized that, I don't know. I really liked the way my, like making people laugh could help me feel connected to other people. Mm -hmm. And there is like, it's a really, you know, silly, possibly self-indulgent thing, but being able to make people laugh makes me happy. Cause it's like, even if it's not with some, you know, joke that's got some deeper meaning or some great point it's like okay for one second i got that person out of their fucking bullshit in their head mm -hmm. and i just realized i really loved that i could do that it was it was kind of like i mean becoming a comedian is you know objectively in a capitalist society an absolutely crazy thing to try to do but it made sense to me because it was I, it was a skill I already had. It wasn't something mm -hmm. that I was going to have to learn how to do. I was like, I, I assessed it like, this is something I'm good at. Let me lean into it rather than me going, wouldn't it be great if I was funny? I, I should figure that out, which some people try to do. But I just was like, let me run with the thing I already know I can do. Which is super forward thinking for, for such a younger person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because a lot of the time we put that out of our mind. You know, we're good at stuff when we're younger. And then we're told to pursue a career in something stable, like an accountant or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's like one of those things where a lot of times, and I've been listening to a lot of like self-help, self-care 
just woo woo shit is fucking bound to happen the longer you live in LA. But I'm trying to lean into it and just be a better version of myself so I can mm-hmm. bring that into all of my, you know, situations with other people. And there is this thing of like, sometimes you can find your purpose by really looking back and like, what as a child did you love doing? And mm-hmm. a lot of times if you can really like take take a look and do that, sometimes you can find a skill you've forgotten you had that really makes you happy. But yeah, we all get so scared and it's like, no, let me just get this desk job that's going to like, beca- I mean, and rightfully so. We live in a capitalist country where like, yeah, if you fail, you starve and there's no, not good insurance for a lot of people. And there's so many homeless and it's like, is any, is anyone helping these people for the love of God? Yeah. But yeah, it just came natural. I actually, uh, I've had so much caffeine. I'm sorry. I am going 80 million miles an hour. No, no. I'm actually, I'm actually really enjoying this because I'm drinking an espresso right as we speak. Yes. Get on my level. (laughs) Uh, I, I had read something about like, you should tap into the thing that like, what did you used to do? What were you great at when you were little that you maybe have suppressed? And I asked my mom, like just fucking peak woo woo. I was like, mom, <laughs> what is a kid? I, this was, and I'm only telling you this cause it was very recent. I just saw my mom a couple weeks ago and I was like, cause I was wondering, I'm like, do I have some other thing? It was a little bit like, maybe I could just pivot out of this bullshit and get into something more stable with it. I could never, I could absolutely never. But it was a moment of me thinking, should I be doing something else? And I said, you know what? what was I good at as a kid? And she's like, like, what did I have any talents? Did I have anything I love to do? And she, she was like, you were always funny. Like from a little, little kid. Like oh, that's you great. Were just, you understood comedic timing. You would do these weird impressions. And she's like, and to be honest, as a little kid, I thought you were fucking weird, <laughs> <laughs> but it was hilarious. She's like, it doesn't, she's like, I've never thought, you know, it's, you know, no, you know, every parent gets scared if no one is super excited when their kids like, I'm going to get into the arts because it's scary. And you're like, are you going to fail at the thing you love and be heartbroken? But she's like, I, you know, I never had a doubt in my mind when you said you were going to do comedy. I was like, she's going to be fine. And that was kind of nice because my mom is filled with doubts uh, regularly. But I think it is just to, to talk on your point is that we get suppressed and it's like our dreams get smashed and it's like, be realistic, you know, be, you know, to try to be a doctor, try to be this. And, you know, that is some people's dream from a young age. But yeah. it, how many like incredible creators are just smashed forever because their parents were afraid? <laughs> Have there been any points in your life where. Um, you know, you're struggling to be this comedian pursuing this career that is pretty unlikely for most people, Yeah. but you hit a point and things are starting to work and, you know, you're kind of filled with pride and it's reinforcing, you know, your pursuit of being a comedian. You know what? It's so funny because until the pandemic... I've heard multiple comedians make the joke of like, we all want to quit all the time. That's what being a comedian is. And I would hear that. I'd go like, never, never in all of my bombing mm-hmm. have I wanted to, to give up even when it felt bad. But when everything shut down, I did have like a complete identity crisis of, did I make a terrible choice to pursue a career that could be completely obliterated by us all having to like, not have contact with each other but 
No, I've been, I don't even want to say lucky. It almost feels like, and listen, for anyone listening in Alaska, I know it's all fucking pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're going to laugh at my gay hippie woo-woo shit. That's fine. (laughs) But everything seemed to happen in my career in a way where it really felt like I'm going to be this person. I'm going to say the universe. I'm doing it. It felt like the universe was going, you're keep going. Mm -hmm. Like I had a full-time job when I moved to LA and out of nowhere, like it was a nonprofit and because of funding out of nowhere, just fucking came to a halt. But right at that exact time I had been accepted into like five comedy festivals. It was right when I like first started doing festivals and it was just all these little things just always came at the right moment. Every time I was like, every time it's, I forget. And I go into these panics of like, is work going to come? Is, am I slipping further behind? And like, there's always like at the, at the beginning of the like springtime when comedy was starting to reopen, I was like, was I too far toward the bottom of the ladder? Am I like done working and then my friend Melissa Villasenor is like I want you to write for me and come on tour with me can you do that and it was just like there's always been it's literally like leap and the net will appear Mm -hmm. which is crazy but when I think about it it's like every time at the right time something has just come in and been like yep you're going the right way. It's like walking up a staircase that's not there and every step you take, the stair just fucking appears. And I think, and I don't even think that I'm like, I think when you figure out what you're really supposed to do, and I got lucky that I figured it out fairly early, but when you really find the thing you're meant to do, I think that happens for anyone. Mm-hmm. Like when you really lean into like, this is the passion. And I, I really, I know it's, corny but like everyone's got I think we all have some type of purpose in our lifetime and when you find it it continues to get validated like things keep happening to go like yep this is who you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. have you always thought that no god no Uh, (laughs) I mean if you had told me that 10 even like seven or eight years ago I'd have been like maybe even less than that. I would have been like, all right, well, you're a fucking lunatic who probably has a trust fund. Like, it's like, yeah, of course it'll work out for you. You're rich. I don't have a backup plan, you know, but it's, and it's one of those things that like, I think if you come from a family where it's like, I came from a family that had nothing. It was very like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We were poor. Uh, My mom was an addict or an alcoholic. And even when she was in her sobriety, she was like severely mentally ill. It, there was a lot of like things that made me go like, oh, there is no God. <laughs> My life sucks. I'm never going to not feel sucky. And that's just how it is. Which, by the way, is very easy to attach yourself to. It's mm-hmm. very easy to get caught up in the identity of whatever you're feeling. Or if things aren't going well for you, becoming the person goes, it never goes well for me. And it's like, well, you can attach that to your existence and then start... You really do start making decisions that validate whatever you're telling yourself, as silly as that is. But I didn't know that. And I think it took a lot of... I had to learn that like retroactively looking back and going like, oh yeah, that did work out. Oh, weird. Oh, huh. And the more I've started going, I'm going to be okay. This is going to work out. The better, 
things have gone. Like as I've shifted from, I just need to fucking survive. I don't know if I'm going to make it. This sucks. And like slowly opened up into like the place I'm at now in my career is I'm very much like in terms of mainstream, I'm an unknown, you know, it's like I have my small fan base and like some people who are super comedy nerds have heard about me through bigger comics who've mentioned me on a podcast or some fucking shit like that. But like very much still the bottom tier of people who are surviving a hundred, like my sole income is stand up comedy. And I'm very much at the, probably the lower tier of people surviving doing that. But I'm no longer like, is it going to work out? Is this going to fall apart eventually? Mm-hmm. Will this come to an end? I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't know how big it's going to get. I don't know what quote, you know, the peak will be for my career, but I know it's going to get better and I'm going to be, I'm always going to be okay. And I didn't always know that. And it's, it's like taking a lot of self-work and also things just working out a little bit here and there, but a lot of like internal self reflection and self-worth to hit the point that I could go, I'm going to be okay. That's Mm -hmm. like, that's very new for me. I, I lived in a state of fear most of my life. I was like abused and neglected and abandoned. So I lived in a place of it's all going to fall apart. I can't rely on anyone. And in a backwards way that probably made me work as hard as I did. Cause I'm like, it's just, it's just me. I've only, there's no one to fall back on, but to hit a place where I can go like, Oh, I, I could not get something, you know, I could be up for a writing job or some, you know, want some spot on some type of stand up special or whatever and not get it. And whereas at a, at a time I would have been like, am I even doing the right thing? Am I, am I failing? Am I never going to make it? I just go, all right, that's not for me right now. And that's okay. Like that's not the end of my life. I can keep going. You know, this is, this is really great. I, uh, I have all these questions written down and we've gotten to a few of them, but I feel, <laughs> I feel like what you just said, honestly, like really speaks to where I'm at in my life as well, because wow. I've been pursuing journalism since college, you know, writing for my, Ooh, my, God col- speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, writing for my college magazine, then moving back to Alaska and, you know, starting crude and Fuck then yeah. also, you know, kind of hopped around to, to a bunch of different other things. But, um, I, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of like listening to podcasts and whenever you listen to or read about successful people, they always harp on perseverance. And in my mind, kind of like what it formed is that you know, there are people doing it, whatever you want to go toward in your life or whatever you want to pursue, people are doing it at the top tier, at the toppest tier, you know, at that moment, yeah. but somebody has to be next, you know? So, yes. so if, if you keep persevering, you are going to be in line to, to have that position. Yeah. It's like eventually you're next. And that's so much of, you know, I always think about it in terms of comedy because that's my industry, but making it in any endeavor in any industry you're pursuing half the battle is fucking not leaving yeah you get further in the line based on how many people just fucking quit do you know how how many leaps we've all taken just because other people are like fuck this on top (laughs) of all the hard work you're doing and it's like it's so funny i just talked about this on my own i did i did like a solo episode of my podcast and i was just literally brain vomiting but because I was like, I had my birthday. I'm I'm having a life crisis. I'm going to talk about it to no one because I'm a psychopath. <laughs> um, I bet it helped, though. 
Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, I process things so much better out loud. So in a way, it like, I had so many moments where I'm like, oh, I'm just actually realizing this out loud to the people listening. It's not me spouting wisdom I wrote notes on, like, and I want to cover this. Mm-hmm. But there's that frame of mind where you could go, oh, this person I know got the job I wanted. Oh, th- I wish I could write for, you know, X, Y, Z, or that I was the editor of this. And then you see someone else get it, especially, and this was my little like moment of aha, when it, when it's someone I know who gets a thing that I would have liked to get, it's easy to go, fuck, I didn't get it. They got it. What am I doing wrong? When the reality is, is that like, this is a person, you know, that got this thing. I was just like, anyone, when you find out anyone got some like big thing, especially when you realize like that they just put in hard work, shifting the perspective to go, that means it can be gotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched this person do that, which means it can be done. And if they can do it, I can do it. And it's like just shifting a little bit of the perspective to go like, if I just keep going, if I just keep working, And it's also, I think in any, you know, sort of creative outlet, giving yourself, I mean, having specific goals, there's a lot of research and a lot of woo-woo books that'll tell you getting specific helps bring things into your life because it gives you a pointed focus. Mm -hmm. But being okay with like, so I listened to some fucking self-help bullshit book that talked about getting specific, but they added like, if you want like, oh, I mean, I don't know what your goals are, but going like as a as like a manifesting or if you're like writing down the goals you want for the year, adding just like, and more or, or something even better to the goal is like, you're getting specific, but you don't limit yourself. So like, like I want to write for this publication or something even better. You go like, okay, maybe you didn't get the job this time. This place didn't pick up your piece you wrote, but it's like, that could be because you're supposed to go through a different door that's going to do something even bigger and better. And yeah. like, and look, it's a lot easier to have that mindset when you're when things are currently okay and you're jacked up on caffeine like I am right now. <laughs> but I think the the practice of reminding yourself helps you. It like strengthens this muscle that in times when things are like fucking, I don't have any work this month. What the fuck am I gonna do? You've by like repeating to yourself and reminding yourself regularly that you're going to be okay. It like strengthens you in those times when it is a little scarier. Yeah. I think that being flexible or, or malleable is just as important as the perseverance yes. because whatever you have in your mind, this idea um, rarely is that ever going to be the actual goal that you reach. Yeah. Like don't get too attached to the, picture perfect idea of who you are you Mm -hmm. have to be able to go I want to do something here but like it's not going to look the way you thought it was going to look and that doesn't mean it's not going to be great it's just like we're no one's going to check every single fucking perfect box that's lunacy my friend Clayton has this tattoo that we've made fun of for years (laughs) and and actually we saw him recently or we all saw each other at, at a wedding and the tattoo is, I set out to change the world, but the world changed me. And <laughs> and it's so corny. Dork. But, and <laughs> just roasting him on here. But um, we all kind of came together at the wedding and we were like, you know what, Clayton? Like the tattoo kind of fits you now. And and that's what this this whole like kind of 
what we've come to so far in this conversation is, is, you know, being malleable. It's about perspective. It's about, uh, adapting, you know, to, to certain situations, um, adapting to the world around you rather than trying to change the world to your perspective to fit to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause it's like, you're not like really all you can control is yourself. So if you can keep yourself in a space where you're ready to adjust and like, you know, pivot when you need to, Mm -hmm. you're gonna, you're just better equipped to, I mean, to get to where you're going, but also survive through the fucking, it's not, life is not always easy. Even if you are constantly like working on yourself, even when things are working out, it's like, there's always going to be some fucking fire that pops up. Mm -hmm. So the most you can do is like be best equipped to handle it. Was your introduction to professional stand-up comedy through festivals or comedy clubs? Um, like me as a professional comedian? Yeah. Uh, you know what? It started through festivals. Uh, comedy clubs had an eye on me, but I wasn't like... I Like at the time I started getting festivals... And let me be clear. There are a lot of festivals, particularly in America, that are as like cool to do. You can meet industry. You can have fun at the shows. That, that person is not making a living. So many American festivals, which I didn't realize, are like money scams for like new comedians. But you do meet people in new cities. Some of these festivals have like industry come out so it can open doors. But that same year I got fired from my job. I was doing all these festivals, you know, spending my savings because they were like not putting you up in these places and like go, whatever. I got into a festival in Switzerland, Montreux, Switzerland. It was a gigantic festival that had been there for like 25 years all French speaking until this year that they decided like, let's, let's do an English speaking show. Let's have people submit videos from around the world. We'll select five people and thousands of comedians submitted and they chose me. Uh, and they flew me out there and they paid me and they put me in a nice hotel. And I was like, Oh, America is fucking everybody. But what do you mean by that? Because there's a lot of American comedy festivals, most of them. It's like, so this is how it'll work. A comedy festival will go, and I'm saying this, and like, it, there's still plenty of benefits for someone who's very new to comedy. If it's a good festival that actually invites out, you know, they'll invite out agents or the booker of, you know, a late night show or whatever. But they'll make you pay to submit, like twenty five to fifty dollars. If you don't get in, you don't get refunded. Uh, and then they don't, most of them don't cover lodging for the comedians coming, except for the headliners they have on the festival and they don't cover your travel and they don't pay you for the shows with most American festivals. And what they do is the money they collect goes to pay the headliners, pay industry to show up who they put in nice, comfortable hotels. And then they pocket the rest. It's like a money making horseshit. And they, and then they charge for tickets at the show. The people who were selected in the festival are as much part of the show as the headliners and they don't get a fucking, most of them, most of them don't pay you anything and you're getting paid in exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, but with a European comedy festivals, which introduced me to the festival that I went to in South Africa, it's like, no, this is an established like festival that people, I mean, people come to Montreux every year and buy tickets to these theater shows and they, the festival makes money, but it like makes enough money and they have, you know, corporate sponsors, which a lot of these other festivals do too. And they just pocket that money. Um, and then they 
they take care of their performers. And that made me realize like, oh, I could be paid as <laughs> like, oh, someone thinks I'm worth paying. And I actually spoke with the uh, kind of headliner of the American shows was a comedian named Ari Shafir. And he's someone who like taught me because I was very like they were asking me when I when I needed to go to the airport for my flight. And I was being very like, oh, I, it's this. But if you need me to ride along, I could just wait at the airport. And he gave me this whole like pep talk of like you you are here because you deserve to be here. Mm -hmm. You are just as much of an artist as anyone else. And uh, you like he's the first person who taught me that like we need to know as creatives in outlets like this, you know, for shows or you know if you're if you're a journalist for publications you are the asset like there is not a piece if your journalist doesn't write it and you mm -hmm. need to value yourself as an asset in order to make sure that people value you uh and that really helped me and doing those festivals introduced me to a bunch of european comics and kind of got my you know started to get wheels turning out there and it just made me stronger. It gave me, I'll say what festivals did is gave me a lot of confidence, which made my comedy better, which then made the clubs take notice of me, which got me in at clubs. And that sort of was my, you know, it's a very weird trajectory. A lot of people, most people who do comedy don't get far enough to do it full time and not have to have some other job. And even beyond that, of the people who do that, very few of them become paid regulars at the comedy store. So it's, I'm very lucky, but I don't know. I don't know where I was going. <laughs> it wasn't, I had to invest. I had to invest in myself first. I had to lose a little money and like work my ass off to start getting anything turning. Do you see yourself working like solely overseas or in Europe in the future? Uh, I've already done two sold out tours there. So... Uh, yeah, for sure. And I, I see myself, you know, I think, and I'm saying this a little, this is like kind of manifesting, setting a goal, but like doing it at a bigger level mm -hmm. where like, uh, just cause the, the level I do it at is like smaller venues. I, it's like, I make an honest living. You know what I mean? I go over there, make a good little amount of money and come back. But I believe if I keep working hard and I keep investing and trusting my creative process, whatever the fuck that means. But like, <laughs> you know, just like knowing that I'm going the right way and like trusting that like my material will come together. I think that I believe it'll start to get to a bigger level where it's like bigger venues or I'm making like good money. That's where I'm at is I make, I make an honest living. I'm like very working class, but I know if I work hard, I'm not saying I'm going to be like a billionaire or even a millionaire, but like I, th I, th I've done enough and had enough success and based on like feedback and, you know, knowing my peers and how many people like have, you know, offered me work or let, you know, given me opportunities. I'm like, I think I will get to a place where I live comfortably instead of, you know, check to check. And I think I'll get out of my constant state of fear <laughs> for good at some point. Are there jokes you do in LA or overseas that you wouldn't do in Alaska? You know, no. Well, that's the no, because I don't fucking get. There's a lot of people who are only comedians in LA, and they're like, all these fucking. They're it's like alt comics, and don't get me wrong, I do alt rooms. I have a lot of friends who consider themselves quote alt comics, but there's comedians who like try to talk shit about comedians who perform at clubs, and it's really because the clubs don't want them. But <laughs> that can crush 
like a super PC LA crowd, but it's like you good luck going anywhere with that because this is a an insane bubble of people who live on another planet and nothing you say is going to relate to them. So there's sometimes I might change the reference or like, like I get self-deprecating and I make fun of myself and where I'm from and maybe the phrasing changes a little where like in Alaska, it's more like I'm, I think I just address it from a more, because I have jokes making fun of Alaska, but in Alaska, they're the most fun to do. Cause it's like, you guys know how the fuck it is up here. Yeah. Like, and because ever like you can't live somewhere as horrific as Alaska and not develop a <laughs> sense of humor to survive. So it's like, yeah, we can laugh at ourselves where some people cannot fucking laugh at themselves. And they're like, I'm triggered my trauma and like whatever. But no, the biggest changes I make are really small, like cultural references, like not even cultural, but like I used to have a joke where I referenced Capri Suns and I don't even know what I say instead of Capri Sun in Europe, but I always have to ask someone like, Oh, do you have something like this? Or like, it's actually been interesting. The more I've traveled, the more I've realized just organically that a lot of my humor is, you know, universally, it's not for everyone, but there are people it's for everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, and it's not a good or bad thing. That's just how mine happens to be. But there are some people that really their material so specific that they couldn't take it anywhere else. And I feel fortunate that I have the opposite problem, I guess. What's usually the audience's reaction when you talk about being from Alaska when you're in different states? Um, <gasps> that. Um, <laughs> there's apparently there's some girl. This is going to get dark, but it's not that dark if you're from Alaska because like who hasn't committed suicide? But apparently there's some comedian who used to be around years ago who I don't know her name, but she had originally been from Alaska. We're talking like early 90s, 80s comedy who at some point killed herself. But she had a joke that someone told me and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. That's brilliant. God damn it. You know, if she goes, I'm from Alaska and that's how it's pronounced, not Alaska. Uh, <laughs> because people go like, ooh. And it is really funny because people kind of like light up, like, what are you going to tell me? And then when most of my experience, just especially like in middle America, because I feel like sometimes Alaska is like the South or the Midwest, but just colder. Yeah. So when I talk about all my fucking drunk ass white trash friends where I'm like look look fucking we're animals dude they get uh, it yeah they're just like oh people think it's so mystical and I'm like I mean I'm sure there are par- there's parts of it that are but if you want to know most of my experience it was like binge drinking around a fire like that's <laughs> what's Alaska like I don't know because I was blacked out most of the time around burning pallets yes that we stole <laughs> from a restaurant uh yeah so I think it's like, it, it's one of those things where it goes from like, oh my God, this is going to get crazy to like accidentally making me more relatable to some people. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a time when it was hard for you to find humor in your life? Absolutely. Um, I mean, there was times when I was younger where I was just like, uh, I think like eighth grade, I was I like I was in all the gifted classes until eighth grade and I just like failed out of all of them and almost failed because I just stopped caring about everything and then in uh in like 2012 I was out here doing comedy and I had like gone through a breakup with someone abusive and just sort of was having all these like realizations about myself and you know not realizing that I was like in some type of you know 
manic depressive episode of some sort uh it got real dark and then I stopped going up which in retrospect makes made me realize like oh like the importance of a creative outlet because I got I got really dark and like stopped going up and got suicidal and then tried to kill myself and immediately went to an open mic and that says a lot about my uh <laughs> mental health but like uh what made you go to to do a set after you tried to kill yourself well it was just sort of like i because i tried to like sort of try to hang myself strangle myself it's i won't go into details just because i or i have i think on a podcast before but like i just fucking it was just one of those like well i guess i'm not getting out of this like it's like uh, it was sort of this like resigning to still being alive where i'm like great i can't even do this right and then it was just this sort of i guess i'll just get back into my routine like resigning into it <laughs> but i went and i like talked about it on stage but like in a funny way like people were laughing but I hadn't been on stage in so long and I didn't realize in the moment but looking back it's like oh comedy even though I was I was trying to make a career out of it at the time I hadn't made it quite you know established myself yet it's also like my outlet it's like my everyone's got everyone needs an outlet and you know some people it takes a while to find their creative outlet or what they like to do but like that's where I let out my energy Mm -hmm. And I had like been so depressed. I cut myself off from that and didn't realize that I'm now like compiling all this energy that turns into anxiety, which if you already have, you know, mental health stuff going on, emotional shit going on and you start compiling more anxiety on it, that's not going to help. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, I need to do this. Like this is, you know, some people paint, some people love to run, some people box. And it's like, yeah, I, working out definitely you know physical stuff has its place in everyone's life it's good for me too it gets out excess energy but comedy is like my release like there's what i re what i realized years later was after i had like gotten into meditating and learned about being present is that where some people would be you know who don't aren't comfortable on stage would be like so in their head and so afraid of someone's not what if they don't laugh at this joke oh my god what are they doing what's going on over there mm -hmm. i didn't realize till i started learning about meditation and staying present that i'm never more present and in my body than i am when i'm on stage not all the time i have bad sets where i get in my head and it, it's usually at the host someone i know is watching or if that's an important some important person's going to be here and i get fucked up but like it actually, when I'm in kind of whatever my zone is, it's like meditative for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, did you watch the movie Soul? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I loved it. When they get in the zone, like when they like play the piano and they're all just in this different space, that's what comedy does for me. And I had cut myself off from that. And you need that. You need to find your thing that like gets you present and in your body and mm -hmm. grounded. And the cool thing about comedy is I feel like as humans, we are in this constant dichotomy of wanting to connect, but also wanting to be alone. This kind of like, you know, get away, come back. I love you. Don't leave. I hate you. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
And comedy in this weird way is like you're connecting, as stand-up comedy specifically, you're connecting to a group of people, but you're also alone. And it's sort of almost is is the middle of those two things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Too heady? Maybe. No, I, <laughs> no, I love it. I, I think, um, I mean, I can't really speak for everybody because like we've been talking about, you, um, I guess as a creative person, have to walk that line and and yeah. and have that journey to be able to realize these certain things about yourself and they're all pretty hard won. Yeah. And once you um once you start recognizing those things that that are kind of the best for you, it's it's like you want to share them with people, but at the same time you recognize that everybody's kind of flow state or everybody's thing is going to be different. So you can't really you can only I mean, when people ask, you can only tell them so much. Yeah. There's like so much that you have to kind of figure out. I said this one thing on the podcast, like maybe a year ago. And I, I don't know if you've had this happen with you. I, I bet you have where you'll say something and you're like, wow, that was, where did that come from? That was great. Oh, it's like downloads of wisdom just come out of your mouth. Oh, exactly. All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I said was, I wish so often that I could take an SD card out of my head and just plug it into somebody else and be like, that's exactly, that's what I mean. That's what I mean yes. right there. Yeah, I mean, but there's so many things that like, that you, it has to just one day click. Like there's these cliche phrases that are cliche for a reason, but until they like really just settle in you, like let it be, or this too shall pass. You just go, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then one day you have a thing where like, oh, everything passes. Like I'm never, I'm, I'm not going to live in one emotion ever. Like mm-hmm. my, de- my depression isn't going to be permanently existing. That cloud will go away. Like, but it's like, yeah, sometimes you want to shake people and go like, it's right there. It's right. It's right in front of you. Why don't you see it? And then magically a few years later, they're like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like, um, I know more than anybody else because I've had friends and family do the same exact thing to me. And I'm sure that they would love to take that SD card out of their head and put it into mine and be like, there, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's just like these realizations that I think we all have in us and they just occur at different moments and nobody's better or worse because theirs come earlier or later. It's just little, it's like little pieces of wisdom that unfold at exactly the right time. It's so funny. They're just like, oh, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think that you you hit on something just a second ago that, that I think um, probably explains this a little bit more than, than I'm explaining it. But when you're talking about depression and you want to shake somebody or essentially just tell a friend like, hey, dude, you're going to be fine. Like I I did it. I went through it and I promise you it's better on the other end. And you just, you want them to not just like believe you, but you want them to know it. Yeah. Like just deep in their heart. And it's like so hard when you're like, "Ah, there's no way for me to like make you feel that. And sometimes that's, even if you know it, it's such a small little light at the end of the tunnel to, to go like when you're really deep feeling the, the bad shit, whatever Mm -hmm. your depression, whatever it's sometimes such a tiny light to go. All right, this sucks, but I'm not going to feel this way forever. It's going to go away. Like that's such a tiny nugget when you're like, okay, but it's not going away right now. And this fucking sucks. Yeah. Uh, it's like, 
so much easier to see it once you've gotten through it. And that's the other thing too, is why I think it's so important to lean into your discomfort or your like feelings that maybe, you know, the feelings that we all feel like we want to shove down or push away or ignore just that it's like this instinct to avoid the uncomfortable. So we'll try to do something to suppress it. Mm -hmm. But the more you allow those moments to come up, the more you go through them, the stronger you get at understanding that like, you're going to get through them. Like the first time you have a, like an insane depression, it's terrible. And the second time it also sucks, but the, like the more you allow these feelings to come up, the like, I think honestly, the quicker they dissipate and the stronger you get at dealing with them. Mm -hmm. Well, cause you can always draw from that pool of experiences. Exactly. Like been here before I'll go, I'll be, I'll, I'll be out of it again. There's like this quote that I, I mean, it's literally from a country song by Dirks Bentley. So it's so dorky <laughs> to say, but I've quoted it a million times that they have, they have this line. They go, I still go crazy. Sometimes now I just don't stay there as long. And it's like knowing that like this, this is going to pass or like having gone to as dark as it gets and come out of it and still had like moments of joy. You go like, all right, here we go. And like, it's, it sucks, but there is a little bit of like, you appreciate, cause the, also the good moments fade too. And that sucks, but you appreciate them more if you've gone through the shitty ones. Cause you go, oh, what a great, what a great thing that today I felt good. Mm -hmm. That's nice. And you can just appreciate that not every day is a fucking shit storm. Yeah. You know, when did you become a regular at the comedy store? It was October of 2016, I think. It might have been 2017. 2016? God. 2020 fucked up my brain. Uh, 2016 or 2017, for sure. Did you feel like that was a milestone? Oh, for sure. It was like, here's the thing is, I started and I my goals were, and it still fucks me up a little, and I'm still trying to figure out really what more I want. I was like, I want to make enough money to survive only doing stand-up comedy and I want to be a paid regular at the comedy store. Those were my only goals and I achieved them, which is why I feel like if I could get specific with goals, I could achieve more. I just was like, I don't know what more I want. Like it, it's weird being in entertainment, but not like I, I want enough success that like financially I don't have to be stressed, but there isn't this part of me that, is like chasing fame. And I sometimes feel like if I had more of the, like, I want people to know who I am. I want to be the most successful X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. I think I'd be further along. Cause I think just making those goals and setting them for yourselves makes self makes a difference. But I just kind of am like, all right, what next? Like, where, where can I go? And I'm, I'm starting to try to get comfortable playing around doing other things instead of being all like, I got to like stay pure and be a standup because I don't want to be like, uh, I don't even know. It's a, a fucking weird ego thing to be like, I don't, I don't want to be like corny, but it's like, like I created a musical with someone and we're like working that out. I wrote a country song and I did a one woman show that was m more sad than funny probably, but being like, all right, I don't know. Right now my only goals are to get comfortable in my creativity but yeah no i i mean when i got passed at the comedy store i cried and then i was like and sometimes it's like they've been so good to me that it's something i can take for granted occasionally where i'm like 
just another day at the office, but then I have to go like my name is written on a wall with my heroes. And it's mm-hmm. a thing that so many people who get into comedy, that's like the pinnacle. And it's like, I, I did it. I did something. And I think achieving something that is considered like such a long shot, you know, whatever it is, you know, only, you know, 0.1% of the population pursuing it of them, only 1% of that group will actually end up doing that. It, it shifts you into believing that things can work out because I didn't always believe that. And I think, wow, it's funny because this is just occurring to me. <laughs> this is not a speech I've given about the store before, but I think achieving that as a milestone when it seemed so far out of reach and so unachievable, like everyone's like, that's just like Mecca for stand-up comedians made me go like, Oh, you can come from nothing and have no one to help you starting out and you can have a dream and it can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think I never, I wouldn't, I, st- I wouldn't believe that even now if, if I wasn't past at the comedy store, which is silly, but like it, made me believe in like it's so corny to be like it made me believe in the power of dreams but really that like oh that thing that people tell you like you're gonna try to do that that's who no one does that that's crazy it's like yeah but you could Mm -hmm. and i like that i'm grateful who is your name written next to oh uh i'm trying to think who the fun i'm i it's all it's all people who got passed around the same time as me so Eddie Pepitone, who's my favorite comedian, and these are like, he's like very comedy famous, but he's not mainstream. Burt Kreischer is right near me. Nikki Glaser, who's now hosting that uh, F Boy Island show on HBO Max, mm-hmm. and then a couple other people who I'd say like are on uh, on my level, like my friend Jeremiah Watkins. He and I got passed at the same time, so we're right next to each other, and a lot of upcoming comedians. And then the further you go into the, like, I'm right on the corner. If you drive past the comedy store, I'm like, you can see me. I'm like bottom level on the outside corner. But you once you go inside into those walls, like if you look over the wall where my name's written, you can see like Robin Williams and like Richard Pryor and all these fucking just legends. And it's it's insane. Like sometimes I have moments where I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah, it's nuts. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I feel like a certain level of fame is actually kind of scary. You know, beyond the the fact that you're making a livable wage. Oh, yeah. No, it, se- it seems like a fucking nightmare to me. To be honest, is that like I I want to be a little more successful so that I can like... And also, it's like if I was doing this at any, almost any other state, I probably wouldn't even think twice about it. But LA is so fucking expensive to live in that, like, it's hell. So it's like I want enough money to maybe have a house. And if I wanted to have a family, that wouldn't be something that is going to ruin my life and be like, now how will we live? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's it. Like, I don't want to not be able to walk down the street. Like, I had a run in a couple of years ago. I had, and he's probably still out there, but. I had like a crazy stalker and I'm more or less nobody in terms of fame. And I'm like, Oh, if I'm dealing with this, what the fuck are people who are like, you know, big stars or like even C and B level celebrities, like what do they have to deal with? And especially nowadays, the pressure of like, everyone expects you to be this, 
Like you can't just be good at your art. They expect you to be, you know, a hero. <laughs> yeah, like a publicly. Saint. And it's like, yeah, no, I don't want that pressure. Frankly, mm -hmm. I'm gonna say things that are probably wrong, and I still have a lot of growing to do. And there's probably shit that I think is right that I'll later go, oh God, I had no idea that I was actually whatever. I've done it a million times already that I was like, oh, I didn't even know racism racism existed anymore. I truly lived in a bubble. But yeah, I don't want to like be held accountable. It's it's also, I mean, celebrity culture is really the problem that we like live in a country that idolizes people that like, you can't just go, Oh, this person's really good at acting. You have to go, they're my hero. And it's like, that's just a guy, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that's just a person who played a part and is more or less probably a regular person outside of that. But we go like, we want the, yeah, it's like you said, people want you to be saints and it's like, I'm not a saint and I never will be. And I don't want to pretend to be, and I don't want to let, as, especially comedians, like we're people pleasers. We don't want to let you down. But we're gonna. Do you think there was anything in comedy that you had to unlearn? Um, I don't think I had to unlearn this, but you know, there's a, a couple moments that taught me that uh, I think there's a lot of things I thought were totally universal. And I realized like, oh, not everyone does think like me like there's jokes I made that I st I started writing thinking everyone's gone through this and they turned into stories where it's like oh here's a crazy thing that I went through because actually everyone isn't just shoving dicks down to the bottom I, like I really thought everyone secretly loved sucking dick and I was like oh no <laughs> and then I was like I don't even think I like it I think oh there's just so much trauma there you know I was like oh we're just all not talking about it and it's like no everyone hates it and you're broken and looking for something you're not going to find at the bottom of a ball sack but <laughs> like, oh, and it's, I could have not learned this and maybe I would have more of an audience in some capacities for it. But the more I've done comedy, I've, I've also just had like, you know, I pride in my life to grow, to be a better version of myself because I want to be, I like to show up for myself, but also out in the world. I like, it's really comes from that sort of put your mask on first, but if I'm bringing a half-assed shitty version of myself to the table, how can I expect to really help anyone else? Mm -hmm. And there were things that like, you know, some social justice stuff or even just like making jokes about that were really punching down. And there's still, I don't think anyone should be silenced. I don't think we should cancel someone for their jokes. But I had a shift where I realized like, I, you know what? I don't, it, it doesn't feel good to me when I, cause I made jokes, you know, that were targeting certain groups of people like, you know, I used to like do like, f you know, fat jokes or whatever. And really it was cause I was unhappy with my own body and my, I had my own fears about body shit. And like, I realized that like jokes where I make fun of other people, you know, groups, whatever, it didn't feel good to me. And mm -hmm. it took away from why I got into comedy, which was to make other people feel good. And I have no problem with people who do like, especially really good insult comedy i love a good roast joke but i moved away from that because i realized my happiest place in comedy is like you know i'll poke fun at myself and we'll all laugh but sort of like just universal concepts and like getting silly i got too serious and was trying to be like tough and i was like at my core i'm a very silly physical person so instead of trying to be this like i'm gonna stand here and have like a hundred punchlines and I'm going to like, you know, 
look down at, at like people who I think are stupid that like stupid compared to me and have a different perspective. I've shifted a lot more into like just embracing silly, but you know, I think there's room for various types of comedy. That was just my own journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. I listened to the most recent episode of your podcast. Ignorance is blessed. Oh fuck. <laughs> and something I really liked and appreciated about it is that you're talking to people about real issues in a thoughtful way. Well, thanks. It seems to be about learning and seeking knowledge and combating ignorance. Does that does that sound about right? Oh, yeah. No, the tagline is literally like a podcast that attempts to overcome ignorance by asking ignorant questions. I sort of wanted to give myself the safe space to, if I had a question that was maybe like, taboo or could be considered insensitive but didn't come from a place of hate Mm -hmm. i was like well this is a forum where i could i'll take the bullet and be the idiot because i think that there's so much so much that looks like hate is just misunderstanding and fear that's been misconstrued so if i can learn you know about people who are different than me that have these different perspectives and not that i i i don't fucking hate anybody but like Maybe people who go like, I don't understand why black people hate cops. They can go like, oh, this is a personal story from someone who's telling their experience mm-hmm. and have a little more empathy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But really it was just like, I don't know what some, you know, when I was younger, I thought I have the answers. This is right. Fucking people who don't believe this thing are idiots. And then I go like, no, they, everyone comes from, we have such different backgrounds that lead to who we are mm-hmm. and to, to expect someone to have this, to come to the same conclusions as you when they've had a completely different journey is lunacy. So yeah, it's really just about like learning where people's journeys have led them and, and trying to like take in different perspectives and consider them, you know, and go like without going, that's fucking dumb. Just going, Oh, interesting. You know, I truly believe that it's so much easier to hate than it is to love something because if you love something you have considered it you've considered every facet of it and you're drawn to it rather than completely just disregarding it and just hating it right off the bat yeah well and then you have a responsibility of some sort to care about what happens to it where it's like if i get if i let myself hate you i don't have to care what happens to you if i choose to hate i it, it doesn't have to hurt me if things don't work out for you. Whereas like if, if I, you know, love you, then I even, as, even a small way, I'm like invested in your well being, And that's scary. Love is so fucking scary. Like it's better. And I think the end result is far more rewarding, but yeah, it's so easy to close yourself off to like, especially people who disagree with you and just go, fuck you. than it is to like open up mm-hmm. and like, be willing to care about people who maybe don't see things the same or like don't make the same decision you would make in a situation. Mm -hmm. When you look back on everything you've done, are you able to be proud of yourself? Yeah. You know, it took a long time. I think it was like that for a long time, there was like shame around the idea of even like, how dare I even acknowledge that I've done something relatively okay like and only in the last couple of years have I been able to go actually you know what good job and I don't think we do enough of that but it's like 
you know, for me, I came from a pile of trauma that I didn't know I was living under, set out with some pretty lofty goals, uh, you know, with a very slim chance of making things happen. And I worked hard and I believed in myself and I did them. And I'm thankful that I'm able to be, you know, there's moments where I like forget the work I've done. And it's just like, what's next? Will I ever do another thing? Whatever. But yeah, I'm very thankful that I can go like, good job. And a lot of that's like really corny inner child fucking healing bullshit. But, uh, but it's real, but it's real. Yeah. No, to go like, good for you. You did the thing that a lot of people didn't think you could do. A lot of people don't think anyone can do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And I'm sure there were a lot of people who directly said things to me, but I think there was a lot even more like probably, you know, people are friends with me that are like, just were quietly like, okay, yeah, move to Hollywood. You fucking dipshit. Uh, (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then it's like, oh no, I, I did it. And it just makes me, I mean, I get really fucking dorky and lame with it, but I think of like little me and uh oh, oh no, am I going to cry on your podcast? No, (laughs) no. Uh, No. And just getting to go like, or I mean, I don't know when you think of yourself as a little kid and then like so many things can go wrong in your life, but going like, Hey, you made your dream come true. And that's pretty fucking cool. Mm Mm-hmm. I got to tell you that like literally as I'm having this conversation, the sun has moved. So it's just perfectly in my window and it's very dramatic in this conversation. (laughs) It's like shining on me and I'm like, really? This is cartoonish. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jessica, that does it for all my questions. This has been really awesome. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I, uh, this was so fun. It was great getting to rattle off with you and it makes me miss Alaska. You can support local grassroots journalism at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. <laughs>